All right. Welcome. Would you like to introduce the show this week? Um, yeah. Let's see if I could do this without messing up. Welcome, it. listeners, to the uh, this is the the Blacktop Pulpit, a podcast by the Church at Sunset. It's I am a guest of the uh, the show with Ken Duffy, a member of the Church at Sunset, and I'm here with Pastor Andrew, who's one of the the elders of the the Church at Sunset. Um, yeah, how's it going, everyone? <laughs> How to do? Nice. That was good. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Well, brother, uh, let me, uh, I just, the sermon on Sunday really made me think of um, The Office. Katie and I are watching The Office right now, again. Um, so, nice. Sunday's sermon really made me think of one particular, like, 10-second um, segment of The Office. So, I wanted to share that before we got into our conversation. Uh, so, here we go. Around here, Oscar is known as actually because he will insert himself into just about actually, any conversation to add facts or correct grammar. Actually, you're speculating. He really does fit that old stereotype of this. All right. I'm not going to play that next statement, but, you know, you get the <laughs> get the gist of it. <laughs> now, now I want to watch it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's uh, just the idea that um, we get puffed up in our knowledge. And uh, mm. start taking that that liberty to insert ourselves into every conversation we can to make the corrections we think need to be made, and and instead of seeking understanding, we we seek confirmation, and we we're really dogmatic. We basically shove our shove all of our personal beliefs down people's throats, uh, which you know the main point on Sunday was that's probably not okay. <laughs> so. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, we love we love to do that in our day, don't we? I mean, it, it's just. I mean, I'm I'm guilty of it too. I'm not even saying, "Hey, you people." It's like you, you to, yeah, no, that's to, me. Give our opinions, right? It's like, uh, and we we sometimes get a little too too quick to want to just be talking and and downing people with our wisdom. Yeah, or, or the wisdom we think we have, uh, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, basically, it's nothing. It's a gift. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, what what did you uh, take away from the sermon on on Sunday? Uh, is there anything anything heretical you heard that you just want to uh, you feel like you need to shove your own beliefs down my throat? And <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think you've been safe with that so far. No no heresies have been coming out of the the sunset's pulpit. That's that's been a, a relief of mine. You know, no, I, well, I've never I've never even gotten close to it. Right by his mercy only. Really, actually, you know, you're. <laughs> You're sound by his grace. Um, I, I mean, one of the 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 quick responses I had, which I like to think quickly like this, is thank thank God for His mercy um, I, and His His granting us repentance. Because when I when I first read this, I'm like, this is humanity, and but but Paul's addressing this church um, because they're supposed to have become new people and they're still acting like they're, they're uh, unregenerate selves, which even during the, the sermon, I was like thinking like, I'm like, is it in Paul's mind that there might be um, um, unregenerate people still among 
I mean, obviously there always are, right? Whether it's a few or, or, or many, but right. I mean, I feel like he's addressing the church, but I wonder, and it's just speculation, I think, um, when he says like, you're still in the flesh. And I, I realize there's there's more that could be read into that. It might not just be an, an alluding to unregenerate, mm-hmm. um, but that's that's what I wrote down when I heard that. I'm like, is that is that in his mind when he's talking to these people? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, first and foremost, repentance. Thank you, Lord, um, because this is us without his mercies over our lives. Yeah, or it's it's the church in Ephesus that, you know, in the book of Revelation, John writing to the church at Ephesus said, you know, you hate the Nicolaitans, good for you, but you left your first love. Like that's the same yeah. statement, you know, it's a matter of being puffed up in our in our knowledge and and in our religiosity and in our, and in our, in our piousness. Um, I had, I was talking with someone the other day and uh, I, I pointed out um, because it was good for this person to know, because this person was uh, complaining about uh, all the things um, that had to do with the church, um, the church at Sunsites included, and they were just complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining. There's a person who's never been, <laughs> so, um, yeah. but just complaining and complaining and complaining. And I was like, um, do you realize that right now in this moment, you're doing the very thing that you're condemning others of doing? And I just threw that out there. And, um, of course, the the response was, "Well, you're just as bigoted as the rest of them." And I was like, um, "I, oh man, I don't like I don't have to sit here and listen to you, but I but I want to, um, and and it's important for you to know that all the things you're condemning other people for, like right now, you're doing all those things." Um, and the next statement was was um, kind of funny, like you're a pastor, like you shouldn't be acting like that. Like that was the next statement. I was like, okay. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what you perceive a pastor to be, but I I believe a pastor is supposed to be actually pastoring people and, and trying to build people up to maturity. And, you know, you can't do that without actually addressing the the sin in the room. It's have to do that. Um, But it's funny how funny how people get, and it's always, it's always worldly people, even worldly people in the church who are the ones getting puffed up in their knowledge. And I, and I say that as someone who has been part of the church and puffed up in my own knowledge, um, I'm not exempt from that. You know, uh, that's, that's the way we are by, by the nature we're born with. Mm. And I think it's, it's harder too, when, when we're younger, you know, when you're in a church of, of older um, people, and I'm not, I'm, I'm just speaking in general terms here. Um, well, I guess there's also some experience in my history, but I'm, I'm generally speaking when, when we're, we're of a younger minds, um, you can even say newer believers, even if you're 10 years in or whatever, you have a complexity, a dynamic because, um, time and walking with the Lord for a generation uh, as you hit your 50s, 60s, 70s, like you should be like the closest with the Lord you've ever been, the most mature in your life that's, than you've ever been. Yeah. Um, and you, you have a lot of life experience, but then 
if you have those people, and again, this is this is depending on which way you take it. You could you could go the route of saying, yeah, and they are, and they're mature, and then you have these young people coming in and thinking they know all kinds of things and are negating all the experience that you know the other people, the older generation has, or you have the other route where the the um, older generation is didn't grow and mm-hmm. they. Um, are immature in their 60s and 70s. And then you have the the new young believer coming on the scene and actually caring about these things. And it's like, then you have to wrestle through, am I being puffed up and, and trying to, you know, work in this situation or or do I need to humble myself and and respect the older generation's opinions and thoughts? It's That's, that's a unique di- uh, uh, dynamic too. Yeah. Um, one of the temptations for me, and, and I'm just going to be, be honest about this. It's not a temptation now, but it, but it was previously. Um, I got into, this is when I pastored uh, Eastside Baptist church in Salisaw, Oklahoma. And the congregation there was like all older people and they were all very immature in the faith. Um, and that, that seemed plain uh, making claims like the unforgivable sin is homosexuality. Um, false and no it's not the unforgivable sin you know yeah hard evident concrete evidence of that not being true in the bible <laughs> right that's right uh, i i can actually teach you how uh, god uh, forgives and changes hearts um and how we are all lost to our preferences starting out and how god calls us all homosexual or heterosexual right how god calls us all to deny ourselves and take up our crosses and follow him. And uh, when he saves us, he empowers us to do that. So that, like that salvation and redemption, regeneration of the heart and sanctification all in one, like that happens for everyone, despite the preferences we start with, uh, you know, it's, <laughs> um, yeah. so it's, it's like uh, after things didn't work out at that church, um, my thought was, well, I'm just going to plant a church. That's all young people people actually hungry mm. in my experience it was mm. the youth group was hungrier for scripture than than any adult ministry i had been a part of um and still like my ministry experience shows me that that seems to be the case in today's world like the youth seem to be hungrier um and i, I think there are a few reasons for that uh, one reason is because the youth today didn't grow up hearing it so it's not falling on deaf ears you know um, another, another reason I think is because, um, the youth, well, part of it's also just because of the terrible, terrible model of youth ministry that the church has used for so long, you know, um, relegating youth right. to a separate ministry, not having them to be part of the church. That's why you have churches with only old people in them now, um, because the youth mm-hmm. were never really part of the church. Um, Vody Baca makes a, makes a really good point. When he says, you say, uh, actually, no, uh, this wasn't Vody Bacham. This was actually Alistair Begg. He said, uh, he said, you say that all the young people are leaving the church. He says, I posit that they were never part of the church. Mm. And yeah, um, absolutely. And so you have all these young people outside of the church who are hungry for the things of faith. And then you have all the the older generations in the church, the Billy Graham generation that watered everything down um, in the church, um, still watering everything down and expecting people to grow as a result of shallow Christianity and shallow teaching and shallow doctrine. And it, 
and it just doesn't work. So my temptation was, okay, I'm just going to plant a church for, for the younger people and forget the next generation up. And then I'm reading through the pastoral epistles. I leave it to the Bible to convict you, right? <laughs> <laughs> reading through the pastoral epistles. This is first, uh, second Timothy and, and Titus and Paul writing to Timothy says, treat the older men like your fathers mm. and treat the older women like your mothers. Teach them, but don't teach them like you teach a younger Christian. How do you teach, how do you, Timothy, who's more mature in the faith, teach those older than you? Well, first you realize that you need to approach them not like, not like you have seniority, but actually like they are your parents. Um, Take the position of a learner and ask questions. And generations that are older than you actually will learn more from your questions than they will from you just um, trying to prove your seniority. So approach them like that. And I said, well, dang it, because that's not what I had been doing. (laughs) Just get rid of them. (laughs) So I I decided not to plant that church. (laughs) Mm. And uh, yeah. And, and you, those who are in the younger generations listening to this podcast or, or watching the, the video cast. Um, yeah. Don't forsake the older generation um, because you, you perceive that they, they may not care as deeply about the things of the faith as you don't forsake them. Um, they do have things to teach. Um, they have things to teach that we can't possibly imagine because we haven't experienced life like they have. So they at least have that experience they can pour into us. And then as we ask questions, they actually grow in the faith too. Uh, like my son asks questions and that causes me to grow in the faith. Like that's true even for me, even though I'm only 30 years old, you know, it's right. really, really crazy how God has put together his world and how he causes the young generations and the old generations to complement um, each other, one another before the consummation of his kingdom on this earth. Uh the generations need one another. If you are part of a church that is a single generation church and you're in a worship gathering that is a single generation worship gathering, um, the church isn't as good as it can be um, for the good of right. the I'm, I'm, I'm convinced of that. Yeah. I would even say like the, I would compare it to the idea of, of being in a marriage for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, you know, the, the the blessings and understanding of God's grace and and His character that you could only know through that is comparable. I would compare that um, only being twenty years into marriage. Uh, I would compare that to what I've I've seen from still being the younger generation looking at an older generation of what you can be blessed through from these older generations that and and particularly. Um, the, the older generation that you can see the Lord has humbled through their life and, and, and rather than gotten puffed up and prideful, they are now, um, they're humble. They're, they're, um, patient with your, you know, the younger generation's arrogance, which, you know, yeah. I I've seen in response to, you know, engagement that I've had with older generation folks and, and the blessing that you get from that, um, is, is undeniable and, and actually very, very powerful for the sanctification of the younger generation to learn and model what they're seeing. And, and just, just realizing like, if, if you don't take this approach um, and I'm speaking generally again, just for, for anyone like that, you got to start with saying, you know what, these people have something 
um, that I could glean from um, something that I could be blessed by, uh, not to pursue a relationship for what you can get out of it, but just acknowledge, like, I, like talk to, to talk to the older generation and, and don't expect it to be like you talking to an, another classmate or something like that. And just, just right. be patient and listen. And man, it is, it is uncomparable. I didn't think uh, most of the, the blessings I see in the church. Yeah. All great. Yeah. Well, and, and you look at all the problems in the world right now, um, divisions in families, um, divisions in our country right now. Like we are split right down the middle in our country. And I was listening to, I was listening to the news this morning and just thinking about the fact that I listened to Al Mohler's briefing and uh, just thinking about the fact that um, liberal states are legalizing abortion um, to a degree that's never been done before. That really is something that's unprecedented in our, in our nation. Um, up into the, the moment of birth. And some people are advocating like even beyond that, um, which is, which is uh, in my mind, it's despicable. And then you have uh, conservative states that are doing exactly the opposite. Like they're, they're making right. it more illegal. Like now several states um, signing into law, all of these are being challenged by companies like Planned Parenthood, um, but signing into law, like, nope, you can't, you can't perform an abortion if you can, an elective abortion. You can't perform an elective abortion if you can hear the baby's heartbeat. Um, and uh, it's, like, it's like the states are divided right down the middle on, on issues of morality like that and of life. And, and, of right. the, and I'll, I'll put it in these terms, like the, the civil rights of that unborn child, like the two sides view that completely differently. Um, and we're divided on that. And I am so convinced that there wouldn't be so much division in our country if the younger generation didn't have such a rebellious attitude toward the older generation and the precedents that were set in generations before us. Um, and if we sought understanding uh, rather than confirmation, and if we weren't so uh, gung-ho about about getting our way um, or or progressing, uh, I, I think our nation would be in a much better place today if we actually listened to our elders, honored um, not not necessarily those unhealthy traditions, but certainly honored our our heritage. Uh, in America, heritage doesn't mean anything, nothing. Right. Everybody's trying to create a life for themselves, but if we actually cared about heritage, like there would be so much more honor and respect and uh, mutual respect among persons um, in our nation, because we would have actually learned what that meant, uh, which is why the church is becoming more and more crucial. Now a multi-generational church is becoming more crucial, not just, not just for Christians or churchy people, but for the whole nation. Like it's up to us now to set this example. Um, otherwise the country's going to die. The nation's going to, it's going to destroy itself. Yeah, certainly. And I think that the hard part is, is, is this is what we've trained. Um, I, I wish like this were a historical conversation that we were having about, about the points in our, our, our past that we've learned from, because I feel like, you know, I'm going to be 39 this, this week. And, you know, I, I started hearing about this idea, like, oh, at least a decade ago. Mm. And we're, 
we're, we, we we're learning that we were causing this and not even from like, I, I'm not saying, you know, uh, learn from your mistakes and, and change it. I'm mean, saying we learned, we learned that we were doing things wrong uh, according to scripture and it was causing tangible um, implications that, that were profound. And it, unfortunately, and I, this is the part that I just don't understand is we're still having the conversation today. Why are we still talking about how we, failed an entire generation and we're still making the same mistakes and and huge numbers across the church. Why are we doing that? Because we, we can, we can shift this in one generation, just like it, it went negative in one generation, you know, and and these issues of, of, of pride and arrogance and and divisiveness and, and, and conceitedness, like it's these things we created by training this generation. And now we're still doing it and lamenting over it. Yeah. beyond me i don't get it i don't get it um there has been a a downward moral trajectory in the united states for a long time and the division of the generations i didn't expect this conversation to be a conversation about the generations um Mm. but i think it's a good conversation to have uh the the downward trend of the morality in our in our country um traces all the way back to the division of generation separating out one generation from another which is which is a terrible trend and uh, as we separated out one generation from another there was the development of the public school system okay mm. so uh those listening i, I don't i love public school teachers I, I love their public servants um yeah i agree they don't get paid <laughs> paid enough right uh, so i i love teachers I do not like the system. And I want to I want to be clear on that. I want to draw a distinction there. The teachers are not the system. I don't like the public school system. And here's here's why I don't like the public school system overall because basically we are handing over our parenting responsibilities to the state. Children are raised as an isolated generation, not really learning from other generations example in the family unit, which is, which is what the family is designed for by God. Instead, mm-hmm. they're spending most of their time away from their families and away from the other generations. And now because they have to do homework and do athletics, they're spending time away from the church where they can have a healthy relationship with the other generations. And the state is raising them and every generation is isolated out. So now with every generation, you have new agendas and, and new thoughts, which is not all bad, but it's it's not necessarily good either because they don't learn from the other generations in a real way. They're learning from teachers who are trained by the state um, and who have to teach certain things. And it's all mental, it's all educational and no real example is being set. Why? Because they're only living with their own peers. Their peers are their example. Now tell me in what world is that healthy? Um, it's not. Um, that's how we, that's how we get to the relativism. We find people, people, um, people given over to today. Uh, that's how we end up with the moral ambiguity. Uh, that's how we end up with the, with the spiritual shallowness right there. Um, because, because parents have stopped being parents and because the church, um, the older generations have essentially stopped pouring into the younger generations like they should. And the younger generations have stopped relating to the older generations like they should. Um, 
And yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big mess. Um, we, we need, we need the family back and we need the multi-generational church back. And that I think would solve so many problems that we see in the United States today. Um, and people would be more intelligent. You know, people were more intelligent before the advent of public. School. <laughs> so, we need classical education again. Let's, let's push that. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And, you know, it's, it's funny too, because like, this is, this is the reality that there is no, um, there's no like neutrality when it comes to what's driving our decisions in society and in the world. Um, and, and this is not a blanket statement against um, advocates of the, even the beginning, the early end stages of, of the idea of public school. But generally speaking, um, top level decision makers that want to influence our culture and change like like the, the people that, I mean, they're very clear now. They don't like conservative values. They don't like independent thinkers. They want to be able to take minds as young as they can and, and teach them what they value. And, and that is contrary to scripture, by the way, very clearly contrary to scripture. And they acknowledge, well, in order to do that, we have to break the the, the system of education that, that God has designed. They won't say that, but they do that uh, practically. They, they, like we have to take them away from their parents um, we have to get them as quickly as possible. That's why you have this this push for younger and younger and younger um, uh, grades. To, well, now we're not going to do just kindergarten. We're going to do uh, pre-K. Oh, we're not going to just do pre-K. Let's start uh, early introduction to you know schools. It's like get them as quick as you can. And the the agenda is to indoctrinate, which is ours too. You know, my my agenda is to indoctrinate my child. Um, but to believe what they're supposed to believe in and other educators, uh, whether they're well intentioned or not, um, top levels, like I'm saying, is like if you do the research that there's an attempt to, to shape culture here. And obviously, um, who who wouldn't want to do that? Well, uh, in reality, that's, that's we're all interesting about that. culture, right? It's, uh, yep. We yep. just want to be shaped in the right direction. Like um, we can't say we can't blame people for trying to shape culture because we're trying to shape it too. Nope. We just we want it to be godly, yep. you know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and when it comes to like the public school system uh, through the grapevine, I hear uh, now. I haven't read up on it yet. I haven't fact checked this yet. It's, it's on my agenda uh, sometime soon to, to fact check all this. But the the push by some to uh, eliminate homeschooling altogether. And the argument there is um, because uh, people who homeschool, those darn homeschoolers, those people who homeschool their children are anti-vaxxers and they're going to put the whole country at risk. Okay. I, I don't know how valid that is. That's, that's what I hear. Right. I don't know if that's a valid, yeah. I don't know if anybody's actually making those claims or not. So don't go saying, Oh, Andrew doesn't know what he's talking about. Like that's not a real thing. Um, it, it may or may not be a real thing. I don't know. I have not confirmed it's it. Small percentage it, of people. Yeah. If it is true that people are using that line of argumentation, that's, one, it's slippery slope fallacy. Not all homeschoolers are anti-vaxxers. Uh, those are two separate issues right. that need to be talked about separately, not conflated. Um, because I am not an anti-vaxxer. I hate abortion. I don't like the way stem cells are used in some vaccines, but I'm mm-hmm. not an anti-vaxxer. But I am. I do advocate homeschooling. Now, here's a caveat on that, right? I advocate homeschooling 
if parents are capable to do that. Um, if parents are not capable, there are good school systems, but don't use a school system as an excuse not to raise your child. Be intimately involved in their education, no matter who is giving them the knowledge. Let me put an asterisk on that capable statement because I agree with that. Um, but a big problem you have with uh, potential homeschool parents is they feel um, unable to do the job. Um, it's not it's not a cognitive ability. It's just a lack of confidence that God has gifted you to do what he's called you to do. Amen. And that's a and I mean, a major issue when it comes to homeschool parents that I, I dealt with my whole life. Um, people who want to, and I know who can, because I'm not some amazing intellect, but we do a really good job educating our kids. And where we fail um, in certain areas, we augment it by going to the grandparents who have different types of strengths and and, and, and wisdom. And, and then you have groups. I mean, just wanted a quick asterisk. People oftentimes think they're not capable, but they are. And there are instances where you cognitively aren't able to, um, and those aren't very common. Right. Yeah. Uh, in most cases, um, if, if you have grown up and you are informed about the world, uh, and, and, and if you do a good job managing your household and living life, you're probably capable of schooling your children. That's that simple. Yep. You know? Um, and it, it actually pains me to think that uh, those who are against parents raising and schooling their children at home, um, it's actually kind of an insult to humanity in general. <laughs> like, just let people be adults and do what do what adults do. Um, adulting is not as hard as it, you know we insinuate. It's it's sure it's difficult, but it's not that difficult. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, man. And it's yeah. the way we've done it for the entire history of humanity. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, you know, we've come up with a new system that's better in the last hundred years. A system that's 200 years old and producing stupider people is better than an ancient system that produced uh, <laughs> guys like, let's see, let's name some of the, some of the smart guys of the past that, that didn't have the current system. Uh, you had guys like mm. uh, Newton. All right. So you had him. Uh, you had guys like Plato and he wrote about Socrates, who apparently was a genius. Right. Uh, you had Einstein who didn't have, you know, forget that. You see that meme about Einstein being in a public school. Forget about it. He didn't have that. It's false information. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, all the guys like that, like all of our founding fathers, they didn't have that. And public school started out um, as private groups of homeschooling parents who got together and built off one another's strengths. And then you had, um, then you had civil rights movements uh, that changed the expectations um, and the roles of, of women. Now I'm glad women have the right to vote. I'm, I'm not saying, <laughs> don't hear me saying that they should, I'm glad women have the right to vote and the right to work. But when you have that change, um, the change of expectation, uh, all of a sudden, man and wife are both working. They don't have time together anymore. Um, the man is no longer the breadwinner, and that has driven up the divorce rate, right? So 
Uh, that happened. And then they're not home with the kids. So they have to get someone else to watch the kids. But, oh, you want your kids to be educated, too. So now you have to hire professional teachers and the school system. You have the advent of the school system, um, which drives apart families even more, um, causes a higher divorce rate. It causes people to be more concerned about what they're gaining from the world. It just uh, all altogether has been has been a travesty and some good things have come out of that like women's right to vote and like the equality act right um those things are great mm-hmm. things um but overall the the turn of the nation concerning morality it's it's gone down and the family structure has gone down with all that there's when you realize all the puzzle pieces fit together and that every time you progress you lose something it's like, okay, um, is what we're losing really worth it? Uh, is it possible to make progress without losing that stuff? Um, well, it depends on what your progress is, I think. And and I think our definition of progress has been abysmal over the last uh, at least 200 years, you know? Sure. Uh, I, I think one of the hardest decisions that you can't change through innovation is that, um, choosing to educate your, 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 your family properly and to, to, to live a life that you're supposed to is, is costly, incredibly costly. And, and like, you're talking about like, well, you've, you've shown well, you've displayed the, the, the direction that we've gone. Um, But the issue is, is we can't, we can't innovate in a way that allows us to have both. Um, we have to choose between the two, and unfortunately, most people are are choosing uh, the you know the the prosperity route, the the reality that oh, I'm only going to have my kids for you know 18 years or whatever, then they're going to go off and live their own lives, and I want to establish what we're going to have for our lives, and life is finite. A lot of true things, but where do you put your value? And unfortunately, just we're, we we need to we've seen the the pursuit of of wealth and prosperity. We need to get back to um, having value in the things that actually actually matter, and not uh, sacrificing those things for uh, a, a trip to a Hawaii or a, a new car or or a comfort. You know, I hear well, even when I'm talking. Unfortunately, I hear um, some people think their sanity is going when it comes to their kids being around. <laughs> I can relate to understanding to that, right? It's like sure. sometimes you, you think your kids are going to make you go nuts, but and they they're, do. they're not. They're That's- not. <laughs> oh yeah they will they it's a sanctifying will. tool <laughs> it's a sanctifying tool that's right it's purifying fire it's good it's a good that's thing right. it expands right. our it expands our ability to be adults <laughs> to grow to maturity it's essential it's essential yeah that's why you see so many immature adults today uh yeah yeah um cool uh well let's get back to uh the text here uh, that was a great rabbit trail yeah. appreciate that that's the reason we do a Very podcast big one. like this because <laughs> those are the rabbit tra- those are the rabbit trails i want to chase during the sermon but i no have to stay on the text <laughs> yeah so we don't want to be um a well actually sort of of people right uh, we want to practice mm. humility in our knowledge. Um, what does that mean to to practice? Because obviously, we have some pretty intelligent people at the church at Sunsites. Um, we have had really intelligent people leave the church at Sunsites, uh, break fellowship mm. with the church at Sunsites, 
um, because they were so wrapped up in their own knowledge uh, with no humility and knowledge. So I just, um, when we talk about humility and knowledge, uh, what do you think that means? What do you think we're getting at with that? Um, I, I, I would start with the gospel humbling us. And if we, if we hear the gospel and we've been given ears to hear the gospel and believe what it says about our depravity, about our stupidity, um, because, I mean, rebelling against a holy God is the dumbest thing a human being can do. Um, and it, it it drains us of all of our, our confidence in our own works, our own, our own desires, our own hearts. And it starts us off at an essential position uh, when, when we now acquire and hear God's wisdom, which is perfect and eternal. Um, if you maintain the humility, the wisdom, um, it, it, it grows you, it sanctifies you, it conforms you into the image of Christ. But if you, if you skip, or I would say is most common in the unregenerate, if you skip the gospel, which is, we all deserve death. We're all inherently just dumb in our thinking. Um, then the wisdom that you get from God, which is available to everyone today, um, um, through his scripture, uh, that that's real wisdom. And that could uh, cause you to be conceited around the, the groups that you hang out, whether they're Bible studies or churches. Uh, these people who value and treasure God's word and you take it and use it as a, a weapon. As, as something where you cognitively can perceive and, and understand in ways that maybe newer believers or people who haven't unfortunately been studying and use it as a weapon against them um, because that wisdom makes you prideful and arrogant and you forget or you never had the humility that this wisdom comes with. You can't have it apart from it. Yeah. Well, and any, I won't say true wisdom, I will say sincere wisdom, right? Um, Because people can have knowledge that is factually true, but it's not Mm -hmm. sincere, right? Um, Sincere knowledge, wisdom, is itself humbling. Uh, And the the reason it's humbling is because the more, I mean, we experience this in Bible study all the time, especially walking through the book of Revelation, right? It's like, we're learning so much about the book of Revelation. We're diving so deeply into the text. And it's like, but with every new thing I learn, I have 12 more questions that need to be answered. Try to be cocky there, right? If that's if that's not humbling, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think and land on a millennial position. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> don't know where to set my feet. <laughs> you know? it's, it's because it's because sincere knowledge is humbling. It doesn't puff up. Now, if you have insincere right. knowledge, you're always going to be looking to fight about it. Yeah. Well, actually, well, actually, it's this way. Well, actually, that means this. Well, actually, and it's your tone is always going to be like like condescending of others like we talked about on Sunday morning and it's Mm -hmm. sincere knowledge does the opposite it's like if you have sincere knowledge you want to always be looking for clarification on what you've learned and you're always going to be seeking to understand it more a sincere knowledge I think is is marked by 
um, a general demeanor of uh, someone asking more questions rather than making more assertions, right? Asking more questions uh, like you do during the revelation study. You're like, Hey, uh, hadn't thought about that before. Can I get a little more clarification? What were you trying to say? Like that's a sign mm-hmm. of sincere, like sincere striving for knowledge. Whereas somebody who's not sincere and they're striving for knowledge, they're going to be like, uh, actually we should look at it from this perspective and actually we should do that rather than, rather than looking for, for clarification or whatever. So it's just, there's a huge difference there. And the difference is not so much in the knowledge itself, but in our motivation, our hearts, um, which right. I, some people don't realize that it's motivation is huge. Our demeanor, our attitudes mm-hmm. they are huge when it comes to, to seeking and gleaning knowledge. Yeah. Even like you emphasize uh, about Paul's teachings is the planter of water or nothing. I mean, if you if you begin with that understanding, that that knowledge of you're not trying to make yourself great or popular or or well known or or any of those things, you know, respected among your your groups, um, you're you're a servant of Christ, and He has given you knowledge and a purpose in this this brief life that we have uh, to to do everything we can to honor and glorify his name and if we realize we're nothing um you know make make me less and 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 make christ more you know that that humbles our our interactions with people our interactions with god's word yeah man do i i mean people can really really get uh, boastful when it comes to god's word and if you if you just acknowledge from a simple reality of perspective that that god's word is from the holy eternal perfect god and that someone may pick up and and and, and hold it in an arrogant way and i'm like good grief <laughs> we, we we have a problem with uh um acknowledging what we are before god and just praising him and pursuing him in uh our broken mm-hmm. states that we just treasure him for for who he is and and the, the treasure that he's put within us and the ability to know him. Mm-hmm. And, and then I think another hard part is wanting to not only realize that we're nothing, um, but make others greater than we are. So it's not that we're not supposed to esteem people and lift people up, but it's a position of humility that is an ongoing battle because um, it's not like you just, Oh yeah. And I know the gospel and I'm a humble person. It's like, no, like, like <laughs> pride is always going to want to squeeze in there. And and puff you up, you know. You're, when you when you hear people compliment you, you're gonna want to get puffed up, you know. Like when 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 you say something uh, that that seems profound, like that that's a, a thing we wrestle with every day. Um, wanting wanting to to feel um, boastful in ourselves, and and then when those moments come, it's this it's this dividing point. Like you take it and say. Hmm, I'm going to take that. Yeah. I'm supposed to be honored. You know, it's, or you're going to say, no, let me, let me deflect that back to Christ, not deny like any type of wisdom or intellect or insight, but to, to reflect it back to, to Jesus and his glory and not my own. Yeah. That's uh, and that's, those are those in, in important dividing points where um, sometimes, sometimes we fail at it. And other times uh, I think ideally we, we, with most of our life honor Christ mm-hmm. through those little decisions, those little reactions Um, that make a big difference. Do you realize if we, being the people of God, sought knowledge sincerely, sought understanding sincerely, 
there would be there would be no marital conflicts. Mm. Uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had as a nation we would not have had a president a first presidential debate like we saw last year. It, it wouldn't have happened like that. Um, we wouldn't have um, we wouldn't have such divisive partisanism in our in our nation if we sought sincere knowledge, uh, if we reasoned together mm-hmm. uh, like Scripture instructs us to. It's like if we were really Christians. Um, none of that, none of that would exist. All that is evidence of fleshly living um, on on both sides of the political spectrum, which is what like devastates me so much because I I have very conservative values, but then when it comes to the way conservatives like the way they pursue those values, most um, I'm like that is so unChristian, and yeah. the left the left is the same. It's, it's like I'm looking at a bunch of worldly people and I share some values with, with the right, with the conservative side, but it's like, but everything is so hateful and there's no reasoning. You're just ad hominem attacks, throwing ad hominem attacks back and forth. And when you get accused of, of something and you can't answer it, you change the subject real quick and hope no one notices. It's called a red herring, like all these fallacies coming out. And it's bro, that just tears me up. Cause I'm like, yep conservative here but not like that <laughs> you know <laughs> right <laughs> yeah oh my goodness and and when when you're talking about you know divorce and or marriage uh, conflicts i mean fundamentally um it takes and, and you're talking about wisdom and 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 the knowledge of god yeah it, it fundamentally takes a denial of the gospel to divorce your spouse Mm-hmm. Yeah, simple yeah. as that. If you if if you divorce, you are you are not wise in the in the, in the things of God. Mm-hmm. And I know that's a bold claim that a lot of people would uh, disagree with me on. And and I I've been studying this in depth for years. And and I I just God God is a a God of of healing and restoration and forgiveness and mercy. And He has given us the perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, that there could have been no other way. It is cross. it is God's wisdom and, and the cross of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And 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 to to us for us to to take that wisdom and that profound reality that's been revealed to us and then and then look at our spouses and say well but you you're different I'm different. You know, it's like you just you you missed it all. You lost it all. Yeah. Um it's like a marital relationship. It isn't a relationship given to us primarily for our mere pleasure. And that's what people think like, mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I like this person. So it's all about me, my preferences, my pleasure, my being fulfilled, my being satisfied. And those are the bases on which you're getting into a relationship. That's not, no, if it does last, uh, you won't be happy. Um, we do anything. It's all about us. We won't be happy. Um, that's one of the things that makes the whole pride movement, the LTBGQ movement, um, such an abomination. And, uh, I'm not saying like, I, I hate homosexuals or people who identify other than, you know, their biological, um, makeup. Um, that's a, that's a matter of individuality. And I, 
And I, I love you, even if you identify as a homosexual or transgender or, or whatever. And I, and I care for you. I want you to know that up front. Yeah. Right. But the movement now is what I'm talking about. Um, it encourages people to what? Identify as the thing you want to identify as. Don't deny yourself. Fulfill your own preferences. Marry based on your selfish desires. And that is that in itself is everything, everything that makes people unhappy. And people are promising happiness by those methods. And no, the only thing that really brings happiness, self-denial, contentment, and submission to God. Those are the things that bring true happiness, like joy and blessing. And, uh, and everything about the movement is like, nope, commit idolatry. Nope, do you. Mm. You are your God. And your, your feelings are what matter uh, the most. Um, and all that does is cause depression because, oh, if I'm not happy, then I must be depressed. And then the suicide rate goes up on top of that. Like it's all connected. People don't realize how connected it all is. Um, and it's all connected on purpose by God because God wants us to know Christ. And he, and he does desire that we deny ourselves, take up our crosses, follow him, uh, seek, seek righteousness. And, and that's where the blessing is. That's why Jesus taught, if you want to save your life, you must lose it. That's yeah, and that's a that's a perfect spot about this this verse nine where where it says you are God's field, God's building. the The reality that no human being can escape is that we're all building something, um, and we're all part of something. And if you want to deny what uh, God says is truth and what we now have and its full revelation, and say, well. Yeah, I see what you're saying, but I'm gonna I'm gonna build my own my own build my own world my own desires and my own prosperity. That building, no matter what you think you want to believe or what you think is good and right, it will collapse. No matter what you do in this life, um, and the only building that's going to stand is God's building, which um, we we rejoice in as rejecting our evil works. And our rejection of God and, and realize that we now know the truth. We love the truth and pursue the truth in a way that says what I do today mm-hmm. can last. Yeah. Um, and importantly, even as a distinguishment, this isn't like um, you're talking about, you know, the, 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 the desires of the LGBT movement. Like this isn't like choosing not to have joy. Um, and 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 be, becoming a, a believer in the gospel, like like there is no greater joy than in knowing Jesus, and truthfully, tangibly, and like throughout our lives, it it is not it's not like I'm predisposed to love the th- religious things. No, absolutely not. Um, there is no greater joy than knowing <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> we are not predisposed toward loving the God of the Bible, we are, we are, no. <laughs> every single person, um, no matter your color or creed or sex or identity or gender or whatever, every single person on earth is predisposed toward myself, my own desires, my own identity, however that right. works out, right? We're, we're all predisposed to that. And the call of the gospel is deny yourself for all of us equally. Like that's, right. that's the beauty here. And people don't share the gospel like that. And so they're like, no, I'll condemn you because you're, you identify like this. And it's like, no, we all stand condemned. Right. Uh, we all self-identify. 
that is us. We are all predisposed to that. That's our nature. What Christ does is he changes us, um, regenerates our hearts, brings us to him, conforms us to his word, his law, and, and actually empowers us to be happier than we could ever be pursuing our own desires. It's amazing. So we don't have to feel bad about like giving up those things that are against his law. Like he brings us to that naturally if he calls us to himself. And I can honestly say, I I remember I came to Christ at 15 years old. And after that, like I, I desired to give up more and more of my selfish desires. And the more I gave that up, the happier I am. And, and, and now no matter what happens in the world, right? Uh, there's a lot of stuff I hate in the world and and there's still joy in my heart. Like I don't have to be complaining about it because I have real joy. And and I wish if you if you are listening to this or watching this and you don't know Christ, oh, I pray you come to know Christ because it is so sweet. Uh, it's so funny because uh, Kathy was laughing the other day. I think... We hadn't heard your testimony of of, of when uh, God opened your eyes, essentially uh, your conversion story, as we would say today. Um, but she's like, "Good grief! You guys even have the same conversion story." <laughs> I guess we're just really aligned in a lot of our our thoughts and, and our experiences and history and like even the things we like to say. It's like long lost brothers, I tell you. <laughs> yeah, I will also say this: since homosexuality kind of became a topic before I. Before I knew Christ, I was still conservative and I grew up in a Baptist church and I was really hateful toward mm. homosexual homosexuals. And after mm. coming to Christ um, and learning about his grace, now after that, I came to a place where I was like, you know what? That is, that is absolutely wrong to speak of anyone else in such a distasteful way. Um, because, because we're, we're all committing the same sin before we come to Christ. And that's, that's self-identity and self-preference and, and selfishness. I am my God. And so I was like, there's really no distinction there between the sin of a homosexual and the sin of anyone else or the sin of a transgender and the sin of anyone else. It's, it always, it just goes back to my preferences and my identity. And we found new ways to express that as newer technologies are developed, but people haven't changed and the gospel hasn't changed and the calling of the church has not changed. The invitation to repent has not changed. It's like, no matter how much changes, everything is the same. It's, you know, yeah. Kind of a see that the Lord is good. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. All right. Cool. Well, brother, that's uh, I, that's about. I mean, I think we pretty much covered the covered the topic. Talked about the sermon. We've we've applied it in several ways that I didn't expect. Um, do you have anything else before we try to close things down here? No, I think I'm good. Yep. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, this has been. You want to close out the show like you opened it? <laughs> Hey, why not? We got to be consistent, right? Oh yeah, consistency. <laughs> um, I, I don't totally remember something along the lines of, "Hey, this has been the Blacktop Pulpit," and uh, I don't. I'm not going to reintroduce her or salutations. You know, oh, you God think? is good, and see you next week. <laughs> next week we'll have a nice benediction. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> 
Don't forget to check out the church at all the resources there we have available for you for your spiritual growth, uh, sermons, Bible studies, uh, articles, uh, questions and answers. And uh, don't forget to click that donate button so we can continue to do the work we are doing here in the Valley. All donations um, that that include the name Black Top Pulpit, they are placed in our Deacons Benevolence Fund for uh, our, our the work of our deacons for our church body for our community, for for everyone's good. Thank you again for joining us. Sweet, bro.